Turn in a copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have your own copy, you'll find several copies in the pew beside you or in front of you. I'd encourage everyone to have a copy of God's Word open. Uh, It is our source of all knowledge about God and and redemption. And uh, it's just an amazing jewel and gift to us. As you're turning there, let me tell you that every Sunday I look at commentaries for help. Uh, This Sunday, this is an amazing passage with so much going on. I'm especially reliant upon some very helpful commentaries for this text. One by Philip Ryken uh, is just amazing. He's the pastor at 10th Pres in Philadelphia, or or was, I can't remember, something like that. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, though, is where we find us this morning. But before we read, let me uh, pray for us. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word. By your spirit, the spirit of truth, give us understanding that we might be changed from the inside out, that you, by your grace, might transform us more and more into the image of your Son. We pray these things humbly, yet boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read Exodus 3 in its entirety. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, or Yahweh, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Do you feel inadequate? Do you feel inadequate when we think of all the different roles and jobs and relationships that the Lord has called you to? If you stop and think, it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? Do you battle the first thing in the morning, those first thoughts of insecurity, of anxiousness, of anxiety? Maybe it's just me. The Lord is in the habit of using inadequate people like you and me and Moses to fulfill His plans. Why? Because He's the Lord and He enables us and He gives us strength. Whereas we are inadequate, our God, our God, He is not. In addition to the call to salvation, each one of us has been uniquely called to specific relationships, specific marriages, specific responsibilities. And that's going to be different for every one of us here. From being a mother of children to being a, a breadwinner in your home. From caring for aging parents to fighting specific temptations. From serving as an officer in the church to navigating complex relationships at work to dealing with acute pain, chronic pain. If we're honest, none of us is up to the task of any one of these things. We fool ourselves if we think we are. If we humble ourselves for just a second, we'll realize we are in radical need of the Lord to help us. Do you feel inadequate today? Join the club. Join the club. We all do. And guess what? It's because we are. And that's okay. The gospel allows us to admit to the Lord, I can't do this. And then God says, you're right. (laughs) You can't. My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. If that's how it works, it's kind of like Peter, you know, when he's getting his, when Jesus says, I've got to, I've got to wash your feet. 
He says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. He said, Peter, if, you, if I don't get to wash, you have no part of me. Then all of me, wash it all, Lord. Paul says the same thing. If, if this is how it works, if your strength is perfect in my weakness, then I'm going to really be bold and tell of just how weak I am. The self-help gurus will tell you you're up to any task. And if you just believe in yourself more strongly, you'll be fine. Biblically speaking, this cannot be further from the truth. It just cannot be. Any strength and any ability and any success in our lives comes straight from the Lord and it's vital that we recognize that we cannot, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot fulfill the calls that God has placed on our lives. And whatever that looks like for you, whatever season you're in, if you're an overwhelmed new mother, if you're overwhelmed in college, if you're having trouble at school, if you've got parents who are aging, if you've got a spouse that's aging, if you yourself are aging, if you're not good at your job. My friends, there's nothing that we're called to that we in ourselves have the power to do. And we will not find help, we will not find peace until we admit that. Until then we're going to struggle and it's just going to be tough. You'll remember our context here. Two weeks ago before the missions conference, we looked at Moses. And he's walking along. He's tending the sheep of his father, uh, father-in-law Jethro. And there's this bush over there. And it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. So he goes close, closer to it. And it's the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, who has appeared to him. And he says, Moses, I know what's going on with my people Israel. I know that they're having a hard time. I've heard about their afflictions. I've seen the oppression by which the Egyptians oppress them. That's the problem. You ever been in one of those meetings where you know you're not going to like the solution? What's the solution here? Moses, I'm going to send you. You're going to go. You're going to go and you're going to do two things. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then you're going to lead the 600,000 men of Israel, plus the women and children, not including that number, plus the Levites, also not including that number. How many is that? I have no clue. A million? 1.5 million? Plus all the hangers-on that are going to come out of Egypt with you. You're going to lead them out of Egypt and then ultimately to the promised land where all these ites are living. And then you're going to take that land too. And Moses says, no. No, I'm not. (laughs) He says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 11 tells us, Moses didn't feel up to the task for good reason. From a fleshly perspective, he was not. Don't you remember who Moses is? He's 80 years old by this point. We forget that bit. He's 80. He's 80 years old this bit, and he's got 40 more years of hard labor ahead of him, leading those ragtag people of Israel through the wilderness. He's 80 years old. He's persona non grata. Don't you remember he he had to flee Egypt because he killed somebody? And Pharaoh's trying to kill him? You want me to go back and tell Pharaoh? Don't you know this guy's trying to kill me? Now we're going to learn later that Pharaoh died, and apparently he didn't leave notes for the next Pharaoh. The reality is he's not the one. Don't send me. It can't be me. I'm not even important. I'm I'm the shepherd of my father-in-law's flock. I don't even have my own flock. I'm not rich. I'm not well-known. And God looks at him and says, hey, you're the guy. You're the guy. There are a thousand reasons why Moses wasn't prepared or the right man, just like there are a thousand reasons why David wasn't the man to take down Goliath. 
There were a thousand reasons why Noah. The Lord looked to him and said, you're going to save every species on the whole earth. And you're going to build this huge giant ark. There are a thousand reasons why that wouldn't work. There were a thousand reasons why Paul wasn't the right guy, right? He was a murderer. And he had persecuted the church. Everybody knew it. In fact, when he goes and he finally is, is preaching the word, they said, isn't this the guy? We know about this guy. We don't know a lot of guys. We know this guy. This is a bad guy. Moses, not the guy. Don't you feel like that sometimes in your life? I'm not the guy. Lord, don't call me to this. Don't you know I can't do this? God looks to him as in his inadequacies. If you read between the lines here, that's the southern version, right, where you read between the lines. What does he say? God says, you're not adequate. You're right. You can't do it. The secret to living successfully in living and fulfilling the various callings of our lives as students and parents, men and women, is to humbly admit that we are inadequate. (laughs) Is there a convention outside? (laughs) I think someone just tried to turn off their alarm and started theirs, and that's what happened. We're, 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 my friends, we are inadequate. But guess who's not? God. God. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you feel like God's grace is sufficient for you today? Whatever you're facing, whatever you're overwhelmed about, do you feel that God is sufficient for you? My friends, He is. What does is, what is the Lord God tell Moses? He says, I will be with you. Now, if your daddy comes with you when you're dealing with a hard time, that's great. When your wife is there for your support, fantastic. Who is with you every step of the way? The Lord God Almighty. Now, Moses is known in, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, as the most humble man who ever walked this earth. I think we can say it apart from Jesus. Um, but I don't think here he's motivated by humility. I think he's motivated here by fear. We're going to see this later in our chapters, that Moses really doesn't want to do this. And he's going to keep rejecting God's call in his life. He's going to keep talking back to the Lord God, the maker of heaven and the earth, and all that is within them. He's motivated by fear here. You know, there really are two responses when we feel inadequate. The first is humility. Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. The second is fear. Lord, I can't do this, and you're going to leave me hanging. You ever felt like that before? You ever run from something in fear? You ever gone into something with, with great anxiety because you're, you're convinced that while God has been with you every step of the way, every other time, this time's different. And he's going to fail you this time. Moses certainly, as he's looking at the task ahead of him, is afraid. But God graciously meets Moses' fear here and promises him that he will be with Moses every step of the way. Pharaoh might have a good game, but God will be there with Moses. Pharaoh might have a big army, but God is the Lord God of hosts of angel armies. Pharaoh might have many wise counselors, but God is wisdom in itself. Pharaoh might possess many lands, but our God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Pharaoh might claim to be able to kill whomever he desires, but God holds in his hand the breath of man. Pharaoh might have the fancy clothes, but God is clothed in splendor and majesty. Pharaoh might be king of Egypt, but the Lord is king of kings 
and Lord of Lords. Your children might not respect you, but God has your back. Your spouse may not listen to you, but God hears your every word. You may not be good at your job, but you have God's approval. You may not know how to pay your next power bill, but God promises to provide. You may not know when you're going to get some rest, but God promises to give rest to the weary. You may not know how to deal with a certain person, but God is the one who transforms hearts. My friends, we are inadequate, but God is not. And He's there right beside us to whatever He's called you to. Well, Moses continues protesting to God. He asks in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now commentators really don't know what to make of this question. We're not real sure why he asks this. But it seems to be motivated by fear. He's looking for a way out. But in the end, he asks a very important question. He's basically asking, who are you, God? It may be that we're, we're witnessing Moses' conversion experience. We don't, we don't really know if Moses had walked with the Lord before this. This may be his conversion. God has told him that he's going to be with him, but what does that mean? It means that while we may be adequate, God is not. And now we're going to learn exactly about what it means for God to be with him. As one person has said, um, for every one look at yourself, give ten looks at the Lord. So much of our insecurities, so many of our times of weaknesses, of, of, of feeling overwhelmed, comes from when we are so focused on ourselves that we forget to look at the Lord God who promises to be with us. And we learn here who God is. He says, who are you? What should I say is your name? And he's going to answer in three ways, really three and a half. And they're going to all be um, a summary of the divine name of the Lord. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So that's two. I am who I am, and I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. These three names really are one, and it's really the Lord, Yahweh. Anytime that you see in your Bible, L-O-R-D, capitalized, it's Yahweh or Jehovah. God has a name, and His name is Yahweh. There are many titles of God, El Elyon, El Shaddai, Emmanuel. Uh, These are all great uh, other names or titles for God, but his personal name, what is God's name? It is the Lord, it is Yahweh. It had been revealed in Genesis, but not in this way. There's something special going on here. What does it mean? Well, let me tell you something. We're not entirely sure. I am who I am can also be translated as I will be who I will be. That I am is a truncated version of that. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, is a verbal form of I am. It's, it's a noun form of the verb I am. It is the one who is I am. We're not entirely sure how do we plumb the depths of this name. And I think in heaven we will praise him for his name forever and plumb its depths. But let me draw a few conclusions about what it means. The first is that God is self-defined. Who is God? Well, I am. When, when you go to social parties and you meet someone new at McDonald's and you say, hey, tell me about yourself. 
you're going to talk about all these things who you are in relation to others. Well, I'm so-and-so's mama. My parents were so-and-so. I work here. I've done these significant things. What is the Lord God Almighty going to say? He's created all things. There's no one to define himself by. I am who I am. I am self-defined. Who is he? He is God. Isn't that encouraging that our God in whom we depend is so much greater than us? There's no one greater than him to swear by. When God swears, he swears by his own nature. There's no one greater. Secondly, it means he is self-sufficient. We need fuel. I need lunch. You might need lunch more than I do. Has your blood sugar hit rock bottom yet? We need lunch. We need fuel. We need to keep going. God doesn't need any of that. He is self-sufficient. He needs no other to keep him going. When we feel inadequate, we must rest. When we must stop, we must... He doesn't. He keeps on going. He is self-sufficient. He is all-powerful and all-sovereign. So much of our, our anxieties come from this reality that we're not in control. Next time when you feel the ice water drop in your veins, when your gut starts to turn, when you start to shake with fear, that's, that's common anxiety. Most of the time, it is because we cannot control what's about to happen. And that is our response to it. That's so much what anxiety is. But my friends, how great is it to know in our inadequacies, in our moments of being overwhelmed, in our moments of anxiety, while we may not be in control, our Lord and God is. Finally, He's a covenant-keeping God. When He says who He is, I am the Lord, He says, He connects it to His people, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one who makes promises and keeps them. How many times have you been let down by folks in your life who have made you promises and have not come through? Our God's not like that. He had made this promise 400 and some odd years to Abraham that this was going to happen. His people are going to be in Egypt 400 years and then he's going to send somebody and they're going to go out of the land into the promised land. This was all according to plan. And who made that promise? Capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh. And here he is, true to his promises. But something really cool is going on here. Standing this side of the cross, one of the favorite monikers that Jesus uses of himself is I am. This is what's going on in John, in the Gospel of John, with the I am statements of of Jesus. We looked at these on Wednesday nights a couple years ago. I am the shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. When he is saying that, he is claiming divinity. But it all comes out in spades in John chapter 8, 57 through 59. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's not bad grammar. It's not a mistranslation. The ESV didn't get it wrong. That's what he says, ego I me in the Greek. People in that, um, that culture would stay so far away from saying I am because they didn't want to get close to blaspheming the name of the Lord. And here is the Lord, our Savior Jesus. And he says, look, before Abraham was, I am. Who is it in the burning bush? 
the great I Am. Who is it walking on the earth 2,000 years ago? The person and work of Jesus. The great I Am. The great I Am who made all things. The Lord Jehovah, Yahweh Himself. He is the one who comes and lays down His life for you and me that we might have salvation. That's what it takes. Does your God love you? Is your God going to be there for you? Let me tell you something. We know He is because He came down. Just like He condescended out of the heavens to the bush to bring His people out of the land up to the land of promise, so too has our God condescended from the heavens and taken on flesh the great I Am so that we might be saved, that He might be our God, and that He will be with us now and forever. Next time you feel overwhelmed, remember that. The Jews knew exactly what He was saying in John 8, 59. So they picked up stones to throw at Him. But Jesus hid himself and escaped. Well, our, our passage concludes with verses 16 and 22, where we see a greater explanation of God's call onto Moses to go and do this thing. So the Lord gives him more information, which Moses thought he was inadequate to accomplish, and now he really is inadequate. He's supposed to go to Pharaoh, who, by the way, is like Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, uh, President Trump, and every other superpower's uh, president rolled into one because Egypt is the only superpower at this point. You're supposed to go to him and tell him to let the people go on a three-day's journey. Um, We're not sure why it was put like that. It's clear to both Pharaoh and to Moses and to everybody, this is not a three-day's journey. This is we're leaving for good. The best answer we have is that it was a diplomatic way of of starting negotiations. But everybody's clear. We're leaving and we're not coming back. Pharaoh's very aware of that. The one who relies on slave labor, we're not coming back. But God knows everything. Because he says, it's not going to work. He's not going to let you go. Isn't it good news when we're overwhelmed, we're full of inadequacies and feeling overwhelmed and being anxious That God knows everything. He knows what's in your heart. He knows your fears. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows the situation better than you do. Moses didn't know what was going to happen, but God did. And the reason for that is that God is in control of all things. Because not only does he know all things here, this ain't going to work. He says, let me tell you what's about to happen. He's going to say, no, I'm going to bring the thunder. I'm going to bring the heat. I'm going to bring the wonders of my judgment upon him and compel him by a mighty hand. And then he's going to let you go. Not only is God, not only does God know all things, He controls all things, and here He's going to defeat Pharaoh. My friends, He has defeated our greatest enemies. He has defeated our sin. He has taken sin upon Himself. The great I Am took sin on Himself so that we might be saved. Next time you feel inadequate, what are you going to do? Admit it, please. Go to Jesus. Say, I can't do this. There's nothing about the situation I can do. Help me. The God who provides, the God who knows all things, the God who controls all things, the God who loves you, the Lord God, He will be with you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are with us. and That You, O Christ, have come and taken on flesh. And that You promised to never forsake us. Lo, I am with you always. And that you, O Father, have sent the Spirit now to indwell us and to enable us 
to give us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Lord, in those moments where we feel inadequate, help us to admit it and to come to you that we might find grace and mercy in time of need. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Two weeks ago, we attempted to sing hymn 34, The God of Abraham Praise. We have corrected our technical difficulties. And I invite you to take your hymnal, turn to 34, and stand as we sing together, The God of Abraham Praise.